Welcome to Mind, Body, and Spite, where each episode we will be taking a deep dive into the disorders of both mind and body with a hell of a lot of spite thrown in. We are not medical doctors, therefore the information and opinions contained in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Although, with as much research as we've done, we really should get honorary degrees. So sit back, relax, and learn some fancy medical terminology, the signs and symptoms of a disorder, and how to survive. Then, learn how it really feels. We are back with another episode of Mind, Body, and Spite. This week, we are kind of taking a little bit of a detour, and instead of talking about a specific disease, disorder, or illness, we are going to get kind of a first-hand account of childbirth as a spoonie. So somebody with chronic pain, chronic health conditions, and then childbirth is just another blip in the radar? Or (laughs) (laughs) Well, specifically, too, reproductive pain, too, so there's that connection to it. Blip on the radar? I don't know about that, but certainly comparable, I'd say, just to certain aspects. I will say, I think that having chronic illness going into childbirth actually did me a disservice in the sense that I was constantly being told, you have such a high pain tolerance, you'll be fine. Yeah. And while I think that was well-intentioned, while experiencing childbirth, I wasn't fine and then thought, I must be really weak because everybody thinks that I should be able to handle this. Or something's really wrong because this really hurts and I'm supposed to be able to handle it. Yeah. My twisted brain went to a place of like, well, that must mean that my endometriosis isn't that bad because this is really, really painful. And so I pride myself on having a high pain tolerance. So that must mean that I'm actually a big wuss and I can't handle shit. Like the most painful thing on earth. Surely you are weak. birth. It's a wild ride. I would say, you know, not one of my favorite experiences. I am not one of those people that loved pregnancy and I did not find the process of childbirth to be euphoric in any way, shape, or form. I'm trying to think of like what to like tell the story, talk about it in general terms. Yeah, like maybe like some of the obstacles you faced with doctors. Yeah. Like pain management. I know when you're pregnant, you're, you're allowed to take Tylenol yep. and that is it. Good. Yeah, I took Tylenol probably every day of yep. my pregnancy. I had a very, very painful pregnancy. I didn't know it was my first pregnancy, so I didn't know what was normal or not normal. I was I was very quick to learn that there is no normal or not normal, and everything is just thrown into, that's pregnancy. And as long as your blood pressure is okay, then... And the baby's heart rate And the baby's okay. heart rate's okay, and yeah. you're not bleeding, then it is what it is, and you just kind of deal with it. I had a super painful pregnancy, especially at and I also had the pretty constant nausea from day one until the very end. That never really subsided for me. At the end, my daughter was in a position that was not super comfortable. She was low and she was in the correct position head down. But she, the way that like my cervix was lined up and where her head was, it wasn't matching. And so that was something that I ran into at the end, which was she was so low and she was so ready, but the the lineup wasn't there, and so I wasn't dilating. And so my water broke when I was at home, and 
and I had these grand plans of laboring at home as I'm not comfortable in hospital settings and I felt like I would be able to manage my pain and my contractions better in a space that I felt comfortable in. So I had these grand plans. Obviously, we all know that you never get to do your birth plan the way that you intend, which is why birth plans should probably just be thrown out the window in some way, shape, or form, but not my decision to make. So my water broke. As soon as your water breaks, like you have to go to the hospital, essentially. So I showed up, and I was only two centimeters dilated, and so... They let me try to work it out a little bit in terms of using all of the equipment that they had and moving and trying to get things going, but eventually it wasn't enough, and so it was put on Pitocin. My body hated it. My body reacted in a way (laughs) that was very strong. I stopped having breaks between my contractions, and immediately it went into just like one long contraction front and back and I couldn't move and like my my plan was to be up the whole time and you know I had been doing physical therapy for my whole pregnancy I was ready for it and I just I couldn't I couldn't do anything funny anecdote is the shapuki which I will tell there was a point in time where I was in so much pain and I had lost so much control and I looked at my husband and just started yelling I'm peeing I'm peeing I'm peeing and I couldn't control it and it was the first time that I had felt that level of like lack of control and I'm running to the bathroom and I make it and I sit down on the toilet and immediately just start shitting my brains out and at the same time pull a trash can up and projectile vomit over the trash can all over the bathroom floor and that was only like two hours in so then the rest of it carried on from there that was the Pitocin (laughs) that was the Pitocin the Pitocin caused that it caused the the full-on contraction Mm -hmm. and it also gave me the shakes and so I was shaking pretty uncontrollably for a pretty long time and eventually got to the point where I was like okay I need to let my body stop moving I'm so uncomfortable and so I got the epidural and was able to lay down for a bit and pretty quickly I went from two centimeters dilated to eight centimeters because my body was finally able to just like relax Mm -hmm. for a minute and then came the pushing so in total I was in labor for 14 hours three of those hours were pushing, which is not something that I look back on fondly. It was the most exhausting thing I think I've ever experienced in my life. I remember my daughter being born, but I don't remember her being put on my chest because it was just such a, like, for the last at least hour of it, my eyes were closed. Like, I couldn't. You were just I, exhausted. Yeah. Just I couldn't use energy to open my eyes. Like, it, everything that I had was being used for pushing. And so, once she was out and they laid her on me, like, I don't think I came too fully yeah. for a while. Where I, I remember very clearly there was a moment where I, like, said something or, like, acknowledged her existence on my chest. And my husband was like, she is she's back everything's okay but yeah I don't know any questions so you know going into it yeah we are always so there's two camps yeah there's definitely team don't be a hero get the epidural Uh and then there's also team super mom I don't need drugs yeah 
So were you in one specific camp? So I know you are typically not super pro-medication yeah. unless you absolutely need it. Yeah. So for herself, not yeah. for other people. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Love drugs. I just don't <laughs> love me on drugs. Speaking of drugs, your Pitocin instant kind of sounds what like heroin withdrawals? Like the shaking, the, the shits? Well, I have gone through drug withdrawal and it did yeah. feel very similar in that yeah. sense. Yeah. So I went into it wanting unmedicated. My mindset was not super mom. I think shoving a baby out of your vagina makes you a super, I think having a kid makes you a super mom. I don't think that anything qualifies that. If you're and a mom, you're, you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, you're doing the thing. And so I went into it wanting unmedicated strictly because I'm afraid of drugs and I don't like not having full control over my body. It's why I don't drink. It's why I don't do drugs myself now. Like I just, I don't like not having full control. So that was my only reason. I think epidurals are awesome. If I was in a position where I wanted to have another kid, I would 1000% get an epidural again. Like ASAP, like go in, go. Maybe not ASAP. I went into this like absolutely no, right. no epidural. See, I'm over here like if I, I want to have kids, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but if I were to give birth, I'd be like asking, you know, like in the 20s, they used to do twilight, twilight. births, <laughs> they would give you chloroform and you yeah. just, that is... That is a dream over here. Yeah. Just knock me out and I'll wake up with a baby, but like not a C-section. I think there's a part of me that would want, the self-destructive part of me would want to try to rewrite history a little bit. And so I, I don't know that I would get it right away, but I'm not anti it for myself. I thought you had a chloroform history <laughs> for a second. I was like, we're going back. We're going back, baby. So yeah, wanted unmedicated, didn't end up happening. But part of wanting unmedicated also meant not wanting Pitocin. Like you said, the birth plan went out the window pretty soon. Pretty early. And like, that's on me because I wasn't advocating for myself. I could have turned that down. It's so different to be in a medical environment where it's a known thing. I had, that, that was the strangest thing about pregnancy and childbirth to me was that like, this is something that so many people have experienced and that there are doctors for and everybody knows about it. And so I coming from a place of always having to advocate for myself and fight for myself and be the educator on something, went into it like, okay, if they're saying I need this, then I'm just going to do it. There's a middle ground there that I didn't find at the time. And so if I could change it, I probably wouldn't have done the Pitocin. Mm -hmm. And then who knows what would have happened after that. But I did what I did and it hurt like hell. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think that's so important to share the horror stories too, because you hear all these like, oh, I'm glowing when I'm pregnant and I have the baby and then it's just like, oh, I love you. And there's so many times where, you know, postpartum depression and some people like literally hating the sight of their child. Mm. And that's so not talked about, not that you hate the sight of her. Oh, but no, but I... <laughs> And this is so much more common, too. It's like, you know, the movie version is it's love at first sight. Right. And it's euphoric and it's magical and it's beautiful. You, and are, you were knocked out. Were <laughs> there was that component. And then also, I said this for a while in the beginning. I don't know if I had... I had some form of postpartum something. I'm not sure to what degree or what level there was anxiety, there was depression. I had a lot of intrusive thoughts. I had a lot of rage more so of yeah. just like it, and, and it was out of character for me but the do you think that that rage was I always say this but like oh goody another thing that I have to worry about or another thing I have to deal with I think I was just so tired <laughs> I don't know 
what it was. I think I, it was outer proportion anger for things that like I'm not I'm not one to get angry yeah often and so it just you are the last person I could even imagine <laughs> as angry so it also yeah. like your life just got like stripped away from you like you were living a certain way I know pregnancy was rough for yeah. you but now you have this child and it's like I didn't understand and I don't know that anybody can I didn't understand what breastfeeding was going to feel like the it, the most daunting thing in the world is finding out that you have to feed a kid every two hours. And if you're breastfeeding, that's coming from your body every two hours. Mm-hmm. And that two-hour time frame includes the feed. So in the beginning, when they're taking 45 minutes to feed, that means you get like an hour between feeds. Mm-hmm. And so I and felt very imprisoned absolutely. in the beginning. And then a lot of people have issues like even getting babies to latch on. How was that? I was very fortunate, and I never had any issues with breastfeeding. Uh, she latched quickly and easily. My supply was relatively strong. I had some issues when my period came back, and ultimately, I think at like 10 months, we switched to formula. But I was very fortunate in that sense. We did have some difficulty because we found out she was allergic to dairy, and so that was a difficult time. There was blood in her stool, and it was, Ooh. you know, that's terrifying. And once I eliminated dairy, then she was okay. So we were able to figure those things out. But I, you know, back to this connection component, I often said this to my husband and to anybody that would listen because I felt like I had to just shout this from the rooftops is that, like, I knew I loved her because I was supposed to. And, like, that was a thing, right? But I couldn't show it. Like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel love like I knew love. And so I always refer to it as it's a duty to love. That's what I'm experiencing right now is a duty to love. And I am showing it by feeding her, providing opportunities for sleep, changing her diaper and keeping her clean. Like, by providing her basic needs, like, that's that's love for me right now. And that's all I can do yeah. is, like, give her those I things. I will rely on Maslow's hierarchy right now. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's how I looked at it. And I actually had a really hard time when we were with family or when people were interacting with her because it seemed so easy for everybody to love her. And everybody was just so enamored by her. And I was like, why can't I? Like, what is, like, why, what's the block? And at the time, like, I'm in school for counseling. Like, I'm so aware. And I was able to, like, rationally do CBT on myself and like I knew that like there wasn't anything wrong with me but it still was so hard to not feel that and to not have the same experience I felt very robbed of newborn days Mm -hmm. come to find out that like baby phase just like ain't my thing and that's okay like I prefer toddlers I prefer the emotion I prefer the you know interaction and the conversation and the playfulness but it's a very isolating thing to think that, like, I'm not connecting with my child, but everybody else is. Mm-hmm. I know you have, like, a hard pregnancy and yeah. being, like, having chronic pain and such, and then being pregnant. think that impacted any of the postpartum at all? I definitely, yes. So my, my first trimester was one of the darkest times in my life. I spent more time crying than not, and that's not an exaggeration. I thought about it a lot like the first I'd say few weeks I was pretty like you know she was planned we wanted her this was a very thought out operation especially after being told for years yeah that you probably could never have kids yeah so you know I I wanted this we wanted this and 
Then I got a really bad migraine at about five weeks pregnant, so super early. And I was told that I couldn't take my migraine medicine. And if I don't take my migraine medicine, I'm in the ER because nothing works and I start puking and then I can't hydrate and it becomes this whole thing. So five weeks pregnant, I end up in the ER for a migraine that I had had for about 24 hours. And that was the turning point for me. That was when my pregnancy shifted into being horrible because, and looking back on it, what happened was it became a medical event. Mm -hmm. It went from being something that I wanted and being this like magical choice and opportunity to being medical and that became really really scary and I definitely after that point you know a lot of conversations about I can't love this baby I can't be a mom I'm not cut out to be a mom I don't want this and it was a lot of I don't want this I don't think I can do this yeah to the point of having very real conversations with my husband of like do we need to end this do we need to like think about whether this is the right path for us as a family still and like I again it's not that normal suffering of oh bloating and some nausea I mean you have everything but like times 100 and I just I was so scared I was so scared and you know again had training that told me that this was temporary and was trying to rely very heavily on that and knowing that like the the darkness of the first trimester would pass and that it would ultimately be okay and so we obviously stuck with it and it did end up being okay but that first trimester was one of the darkest things I've ever felt for sure because that also coincided with your first semester I found out I was pregnant two weeks into grad school. (laughs) Yeah, I I just remember being in, I think we were in group. Yeah. And you were like, okay, well, when I see you guys all next semester when we're on campus, uh, you will definitely notice something. (laughs) Yeah, and that's like, you know, this is a, a tangent that we don't have to dig into, but like... I had the chronic illness component and the pregnancy component and all that stuff, and it's happening during a pandemic. And And that's like something that didn't even click with me until you just said that. I'm like, oh my God, of course you were pregnant with all this other shit during COVID. So like super panicked about (laughs) getting COVID, had to get vaccines while pregnant, which was scary at the time because it was still relatively new. And then there was the, you know, getting ready to have her close to my due date was the omicron outbreak and so i said it a million times like there's no way i could have given birth without my husband there and so there was so much fear that like if he got covid and he wouldn't be able to be in the hospital with me and then i have her and there's a formula shortage and so she can't do dairy and she can't do dairy and so i was okay with giving up dairy like that didn't bother me but there was so much extra stress about maintaining my supply for fear of starving yeah Yeah. i have no backup yeah and the you know knowing that like if i lost my supply and we had to go to formula not only was there a shortage but there are way fewer options for the dairy allergy and so it was just like, yeah, no shit, I was depressed. Absolutely. <laughs> Whether it was postpartum depression or like circumstantial depression, I don't know, you know. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. It's spice just, it up. Yeah, spice up your life. But, you know, and <laughs> we're women and we're losing our rights. So that yeah, was happening yeah. at the same time, too. But like, yeah, so, you know, it's only like Roe v. Wade is overturned. It's like, you know, it's fine. It's all good. So that's that. 
have babies if you want, but don't feel bad if you don't want to. Oh, but now, but the question on everybody's mind, since our first episode was endometriosis, <laughs> did having a baby cure your endometriosis, it Leah? It did not, in fact, <laughs> cure my endometriosis. So Is this a myth I don't know about? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So when you grow up with endometriosis, and as it gets worse and worse and you get older and older, they started telling me around age 23, 24, because I was married, they're like, oh, we'll have a kid. It gets better after you have a kid. We just got married, so I definitely don't want a child right now. And they're like, okay, well, you know, in a few years, you know, have a kid, it'll be better. And I'm like, okay. And like, we went back and forth of whether we wanted kids for two years. And I'm sitting here going like, what if I would have just popped one out and then I would rather regret not having them than regret having them. <laughs> having learned so much about endometriosis from the two of you, I can't even fathom how, uh, obviously a lot of things are not fathomable around the diagnosis of endometriosis, but how they could just be like, oh, that'll solve it. Like when I think about what you guys have scientifically taught me, I'm like, how does that <laughs> exactly. make any sense? The or... reason it makes sense is because of the outdated theory. Mm. So the outdated theory is, I think it's referred to as Samson's theory. It's that the endometrial lining escapes out of your uterus and latches onto your organs. And so that makes it a uterine condition. And so if it's a uterine condition and you shut down the uterus, then that's mm. how you're treating it. If you're shutting down, if it's ovary suppression, if you're shutting down your reproductive system, then you're putting your disease into remission. Yeah, that sounds like bullshit. But that's that not the disease. So like right. that, the theory was that it was the endometrial lining. It's not the endometrial lining. And so once you know that it's not the endometrial lining, then it makes sense that that's not actually something that can work. But endometrial like tissue. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a weird, you know, to be 16 years old, pregnancy was being brought up. And not in the sense of, like, you should get pregnant, but, like, when you can get pregnant, but then at the same time, you probably can't get pregnant. So you're kind of in this place of, like, this is a treatment option for you, but you also probably can't do it. And then it's all bullshit anyways. I got diagnosed with endo at 16 because I could not keep water down my first day. It was horrid. And yeah, I mean, she basically told me at like 16, 17 years old, they're like, yeah, you will probably struggle with fertility. So if you want kids, you need to like think about sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Right now, age 16. I think she basically said before 25. Mm -hmm. That is so young. (laughs) And, you know, thinking back to, you know, 15 years ago, I was not cut out to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, it probably wouldn't even have helped anyway. But yeah, that it was my tangent. <laughs> I was in pain for my entire pregnancy. I didn't do shit. And now I'm getting a hysterectomy, so <laughs> really didn't do shit. Oof. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm just kidding. Do it if you want to. But I feel like the other thing that like nobody talks about, and you can add this if you want to or not, but like I swear to God, nobody told me about the hemorrhoids you get after you give birth. No, I've heard about this. Worse than worse than the labor. I couldn't sit for four months. No, I have never heard of them that bad. And so maybe yeah. it's because I pushed for three hours, but still. Yeah. Like, that felt like a shock to me, and now anybody that's pregnant... Well, I don't do the just you wait, so that's the other thing. I hate when people say, just you wait, it gets so much worse. Mm-hmm. But I do make sure that anybody that, I'm, that I know that's pregnant has tux. <laughs> and hemorrhoid cream. Yeah. Tux. That's all. Uh, it's medicated pads, um, specifically for hemorrhoids. Yeah. And it oh. shrinks the hemorrhoid and it's good. So it's you can push it back in. Yeah. Shove it back. Yeah. Okay. A little cooling wipe. It's nice. It's hopefully, hopefully that was cured itself. We're better. We're better. We're in a better place. <laughs> yeah. I can sit. I'm sitting right now. You are sitting. <
Do you have an obscure, rare, or not well-known disorder that you want to share? Or shine a light on and advocate for? Or just bitch and complain about? Email us at mindbodyandspiked at gmail.com or reach out on our Facebook page. You can also find information about future episodes and ask questions of future guests and recommend disorders for future episodes. Check the show notes or our Facebook page for articles and references used in this episode, including media and reading recommendations. Thank you.